are um, in this season of starting things and sort of in this season of um, uh, some of us are in transition, some of us are going back to work in a more uh, physical location, not, not, on remote, uh, not in remote settings. Um, and so there's just a little bit of a season of this is a season of change for a lot of people, and there's sort of this transition for a lot of people. Um, and so I thought it'd be good to take some time to sort of uh, talk about some priorities that we need to have in our lives, um, really throughout our lives, whether we're in sort of a regular season, whatever that means, or we're maybe in a new season or sort of changing seasons, whatever that might look like. In those seasons specifically where things are changing or starting, these priorities are even more important because they really can impact not just you, but they can impact the people around you in a very powerful and, and profound way. And so um, we're, as you know, so we're getting our schedules, some of us are figuring out what classes we're going to have as we get the calendar of events and activities and the things that we have to sign up for and our you know, all hands on deck meetings and all those different things that we have coming up. Some of us are reconnecting with coworkers or starting to meet new coworkers, all the different things that are happening. We're preparing for fall, preparing for winter. Um, and for some of you, um, this, this title of the ducks in a row, if you're a parent, you're trying to get your ducks in a row, your kids, literally, to go in a row so you can walk to school or so you can get in the car on time and get to class and get to school on time, all that stuff. But we're talking about how, kind of getting our ducks in a row. And um, so I want to thank um, North Point Community Church for some of the help in this series. But basically, we're going to focus on two things in this series. We're going to focus on integrity and reactions. Integrity and reactions and how those two things really can have a disproportionate impact on how we uh, look at this next season and, and eventually, you know, five, six months, a year down the road, how we look back on this season, how we react, and the integrity that we have as people. And so we're going to talk about that. So as we get started, um, I want you to think about um, some of the things that cause you to stop and stare. Okay? And you can kind of, audience here in the, in the building, you can think about it, and I'd love for your feedback in a second. If you're online, we'd love for you to just jump in the chat and share something that makes you stop and stare. Now, those of you in the room, give me some feedback. What are some things that help you or make you sort of stop and stare? It can be good or it can be bad, either way. Anything? What's that? Hair color. hair color. If you see somebody with some really bright hair color, yeah. Uh, back in the day, I had fuchsia hair. <laughs> I don't know if people stopped and stared at me, but they might have. Okay. Anybody else? Car accidents. Car accidents. Yeah. Rubbernecking. Oh, so it causes so much traffic unnecessarily, but yes. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Santa Barbara Moons. What's that? Santa Barbara Moons. Santa, Santa Barbara Moons? Mountains. Mountains. Oh, sorry. Okay. Mountains. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. There's so many beautiful things in California, but yeah, Santa Barbara. Yeah. Protests. Okay, yeah, if you see somebody protesting, or, yeah, yeah, that would make you stop and stare, wonder what they're protesting, absolutely. Uh, well, the one that I'm kind of, this isn't a gotcha question, but the one I'm sort of looking for today that we're, that we're going to talk about is an overreaction. H have you ever seen that where you're sort of in the grocery store and you see the parent overreacting to their kid's misbehavior? A and their kid's sort of just acting like a kid, and so the parent is, you know, over-disciplining, and in some ways the kid is acting like a kid, and then so the parent starts acting like a kid, right? And they start this, this crazy overreaction, like that is not you know, necessary for this situation, right? Or maybe for some of you it's a work situation and you sort of walk through the office, or maybe it's on Zoom. I'm not sure exactly how you'd walk by somebody in Zoom. But anyhow, you sort of walk by a situation and you just hear somebody overreacting, whether it's like you know, this big event that's happening and you're like, you know, the world's going to end because we don't have this piece missing for our thing or whatever. Or maybe it's just an internal relationship of a thing not going well, or maybe it's a client and a customer kind of thing. And, I don't know, but you see this overreaction, and you just think, 
Well, that situation didn't warrant that reaction, right? And it just seems like it's an overreaction, that that situation didn't warrant that particular reaction. And it can kind of cause us to sometimes stop and stare, depending on the situation. And the thing is that we've all been there, right? We've all been in this overreaction season or this overreaction uh, situation. And many of us have damaged relationships, right? We've damaged relationships because of our overreaction. In fact, maybe for some of us, we'd say, yeah, my latest apology was because I overreacted on something, right? I don't know if anybody else would say that. That might be me at times. Now, what if we could harness the power of overreactions, or our reactions, rather, for good, because typically when we think of overreaction, we think of it as sort of a bad thing. And sometimes when we talk about a reaction, yeah, I should have reacted better. But what if we could re- would harness our reactions actually for good? And Jesus, I think, says that there is a way to do it. With his help, there is a way to do this, and we should do this. And what we're going to discover, this isn't just like some sort of like extra credit Christianity. In some ways, this is foundational to our Christianity of following Jesus as Jesus followers. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is what it reacts like to follow Jesus. So we're going to talk about reactions. And when it comes to reactions, there's really sort of two obvious reactions. There's sort of the overreaction, where people just sort of go way overboard. But there's also sort of that underreaction, right, where you sort of expected a little bit more from somebody that, you know, they just didn't overreact. They sort of underreacted. But interestingly, there's sort of a little bit of a similarity between overreactions and underreactions. Both are not how others expect us to respond, right, or react. Both are that way. Um, Both underreactions and overreactions can lead those watching to ask some similar questions. Those sort of on the periphery with, you know, pulling out their phones and maybe recording nowadays or just sort of watching and listening like you don't want people to see you watching and listening, but you sort of are. Um, They would ask these questions like, well, who would say that after what just happened? Who would do that after what just happened? Again, overreaction, underreaction. Either way, it sort of goes both ways. And what Jesus is going to teach us about how to react, uh, really like most of his teachings, right, most of what he taught about, it's going to challenge us because it's so different from what we're used to. And to be honest, it's so different from the way the world would tell us to react. And this teaching can be sort of easily dismissed. Like, like no one does this. Like no one's going to do that, Jesus. That's just not practical. And just sort of dismiss what Jesus is going to say. And specifically, when we overreact, we, we typically do feel justified in our reaction, right? We, we, in the moment, at least, we feel justified. Like, yeah, I should have reacted that way because did you see what they did to me? Did you see what they said to me? Like, all those things. And we sort of just, like, dismiss what Jesus is going to say about reaction because in the moment, we sort of think we're justified. But Jesus' teaching is, is also going to be, uh, it's not only easily dismissed, but it can also be easily misunderstood in what he's going to teach us. But Jesus is going to tell us something that if we don't understand it correctly, it could seem a little bit dangerous and a little bit unhealthy. And yet, what we're going to talk about is really, again, foundational to what Christianity is all about. And part of the reason that um, this is so important, to be honest with you, is the reaction thing, it's really hard to do at times, right? You hear something, and we sort of have this instinct, it seems like. We have this reflex where we're going to respond a certain way when that thing happens. And yet Jesus says there's a way that you can react that's different, that's actually a lot better. And the interesting thing is the reason why this is so hard and the reason why this sort of conflicts with the way the world sees things and the way that we see things at times, the way we react, is because Jesus saw and viewed being treated unjustly as an opportunity. He didn't sort of say, oh, it's an opportunity to like, you know, fight for my rights and that kind of stuff. And there are times for that, no, no doubt about that. But typically Jesus saw um, being viewed, tre- or being treated unjustly 
as an opportunity for something bigger than just himself, right? When he was treated unjustly, it was a bigger opportunity. That Jesus consistently viewed being treated unfairly and being treated unkindly as an opportunity. He viewed those, oppor- those, those moments as an opportunity to react in a way that would do something, that would impact people and that would change the situation and in a way that people would notice what's happening in him and how he reacted. Um, basically, we might say, well, like, you know, looking at Jesus' situation, like, we could ask very obviously, you know, did, did, did he realize what was happening to him? Did he actually see what they did to him? Did he, did he actually know what they were saying about him? Did he know what was going to happen? Like, he should be angry, and yet it doesn't seem like he's angry. And so we're going to see that from Jesus that our reactions are very, very important. One, one of my favorite pastors says this, actions speak louder than words, reactions speak louder than either. And I think that sort of speaks to the point that there is something about our actions. Obviously, our everyday behavior is important and significant, but our reactions, sometimes they tell people the, the, the real story, the full story about ourselves and our lives, and they sort of show what's going on on the inside. Because for most of us, our actions, we sort of learned how to behave. Because I can bet all of you do not normally behave this well as you are right now, sitting quietly in a room, right? <laughs> there are times when the volume maybe goes up, or maybe you're a little bit more distracted, or you're not sort of paying attention as much. But in certain settings, we can all sort of behave and, and action our way into, into doing what we should do. But in those moments where things don't go our way, in those moments where somebody says something to us that we weren't expecting, our reactions show a little bit more of our heart and what's inside of us than we might like to admit. If I don't get my fair share, if I don't get my credit, if I don't get the appreciation or the recognition, if I don't get what I think should be coming to me, my reaction exposes what's actually on the inside of me and what's actually happening. That actions may speak louder than words, but our reactions do tell the full and more complete story about who we are as people. And Jesus' words are really gonna be pretty strong and they're gonna be a little bit challenging for some of us who claim to be Jesus followers. But if we don't do what he says, we miss out on opportunities that Jesus would say, these are powerful moments and these are powerful opportunities to do something bigger than just yourself. And so we're going to look at an example, or some examples actually from a teaching of Jesus that we probably have all heard. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, you're welcome to do that. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Um, and if you aren't a Jesus follower, the good news is you've probably heard a lot of these things. In fact, you've probably said a lot of these things and not even realize exactly what you were saying. Um, but you can actually do these things uh, even if you're not so sure about Jesus. And it will help you react better to situations in your life. Um, the the tr- challenging thing is for those of us who are Jesus followers, this isn't sort of optional. This is sort of foundational again to who we are as Jesus followers. And this is something that we're supposed to do. And in this teaching, Jesus is really so specific. And it's kind of interesting. I've never really looked at this passage from sort of the lens of how we react to other people and how we react to situations. But if you look at this passage as we read through it, through that lens of reactions and how we react to people, it can, it can be, I think, pretty powerful, maybe a little bit of a refreshing um, sense of uh, looking at the scriptures. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, says this, You have heard the law that says the punishment must, must match the injury, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And this is just sort of how the world works, or this is how we sort of assume the normal way the world works is, is this kind of way. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And that's not quite what Jesus came to say. Jesus came to elevate the status a little bit of that, but he says, you know that that's sort of the way that the world works. And we'd say, yeah, that is sort of the way the world works. That's what is expected. And, and no one's even really surprised if you react to somebody uh, in the same uh, way that they sort of treated you initially, right? If you react in the same vein, it's, it's not really much of a surprise. In fact, in some situations, if you react in the same way that somebody mistreated you, 
people are going to cheer you on and be like, yeah, you should have said that. You should have given them more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and sort of encourage us to do that, right? And give them back what they, what they gave to us. Jesus says, well, I get that. But verse 39, but I say, do not resist an evil person. Now, this is one of those moments where we could easily sort of misunderstand what Jesus is trying to say here. Jesus is not talking about self-defense or protection. Protection is very different from, from retaliation, and Jesus is talking about retaliation. He's saying that I don't want you to react to people who are cruel to you and consider you an enemy. I don't want you to react to the evil people in an evil way. He says, I want you to do something different. I don't want you to treat them the way that they've treated you. I don't want them, you to react to the way that they reacted to you, maybe. I want you to react differently. I want you to do something different, because if you don't, it's going to be a missed opportunity, I think is what Jesus is going to say. And, and we've all sort of seen this play out, right? We've all seen this sort of happen. Uh, we've seen a situation where someone had the opportunity for retaliation, and they didn't take it. In fact, they sort of went in the opposite direction. And when you've seen that happen, most of us are sort of inspired, We're like, oh, wow, how did they not react and retaliate the way that they had the opportunity to? And it sort of is inspiring a little bit. Jesus continues on, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And basically when you hear turn the other cheek, you might not know this, but this is from Jesus. This is actually comes from Jesus. Um, but what's important here is to again, not misunderstand what Jesus is saying. And we sort of have to go back and understand what he's saying. He's not saying that if someone's attacking you physically, well, you should just stand there and let them beat the snot out of you, right? Like that's not what he's necessarily saying. He's again, not talking about protection and, and um, defending yourself. He's talking about retaliation. And there's an important point that we need to sort of understand about why Jesus says the right cheek. And what Jesus is talking about when he says the right cheek is most people were right-handed in this time. And so if you hit somebody on the right cheek, it was probably going to be a, a, like a sort of a backhanded slap to them, uh, sort of a way to, uh, to instigate a fight, to sort of instigate them to come at you in a way to sort of start something with them. It's sort of a, a representation of, of, again, being disrespectful or being dismissive to someone. So it's not so much of an attack as it's an insult to someone. And this is someone sort of trying to bait someone into a fight, picking a fight with someone else. And Jesus is saying, when people try to bait you, and, and isn't it true that that sometimes happens? <laughs> it sort of feels like somebody started giving you opportunity to start something so that they can come at you with their thing or come at you with their complaint or their whatever the thing is. Maybe it's not physical, but maybe it's a little bit more emotional or verbal or whatever. And, and they sort of bait you. And it's like, yeah, I could take that bait, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to sort of leave it. Or maybe you say, yeah, I'm going to take that bait. And Jesus says, I want you to not take that bait and not go into that, that stage of conflict, not go into that situation with that in mind. And then Jesus sort of transitions into a different example about being sued and going into the court of law. And it's interesting because our legal system is very different from the legal system in Jesus' day, which is interesting because our legal system is much better today because of Jesus. It's kind of interesting that Jesus influences a lot of our legal system in a lot of different ways. But continuing on, he says, verse 40, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, Here's his reaction. Give your coat too, <laughs> which is not necessarily intuitive, right? That's not our reflex to do that. He gives another example of something that you might have said um, that originated with Jesus. Verse 41, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. And in our generation, we might be able to sort of try to imagine what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus' original audience knew what this actually looked like because Jesus is referring to this sort of mandatory public service. That in this culture, if you were sort of a temple leader or someone with any sort of power or authority in the military or uh, any sort of political leader, you could go to just an average citizen and ask them to do something for you. And they were sort of compelled or mandated to do it. And specifically, that meant if, if somebody needs you to carry something, like a soldier needs you to carry something, carry his gear for a mile, 
you were required to do it for at least a mile, or in the actual translation, about a thousand steps, which may or may not equal a mile, depending on your steps, obviously. Um, but basically, Jesus is saying, if they are asking you or telling you or sort of mandating you to go a mile, he's going to say you should carry it an extra mile. So not only do what's expected of you, do something beyond what's expected of you. You should react in a way that giving more than what is actually expected. Now, in this culture, um, obviously, this could be abused, right? This is the Roman Empire. It's not like people had perfect morals. They never really had perfect morals throughout history. But in the Roman Empire, things were abused all the time. And, and people used their status to take advantage of other people. And so likely, this was probably taken advantage of. And yet, Jesus is referencing this one instance where people can do something beyond what they're expected to do and help people. And in this situation, Jesus says, if you find yourself in this situation where you're recruited against your will... Jesus says, not only go one mile, but go an extra mile as well. And we see this as sort of a, a strange reaction, right, to, to a mandatory public service to react this way by giving extra. And, and that was probably bothering Jesus' audience when they heard this. They're like, how can we do this? Like, Jesus, nobody's going to do this. Like, why would we even do this? We, we sort of don't like it necessarily that we'd have to go an extra mile. But in Jesus' audience, they actually knew what this meant. Some of them have actually done this. They're listening to Jesus say this. And I gotta imagine there's somebody just dismissing him. Like, Jesus, nobody's gonna do that. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Why would I go extra? Why would I help serve these people who are captors of us? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. But Jesus doesn't stop. Verse 42, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, he's specifically talking about the relationship of those who have extra, right? There's people in the world who have extra and those who don't have any or people who have without. And Jesus is basically saying that whatever the norm is when it comes to lending things to people, I want you to be more generous than that. Whatever the standard is, I want you to be more generous. And maybe even the inclination of you should just eventually forgive the loan that people that you've given to somebody. That I want you to go above and beyond whatever the expectation is and react to these people in a way that's going to be generous to them. Continue on verse 43. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And basically, you like the people that like you, and you love the people that love you, but you don't treat the people that don't treat you well. You don't treat them well either, right? Like, that's just sort of the standard. You, you treat people how they treat you, and you love those who love you, and you just hate those who hate you, obviously, your enemies. Uh, and, and when people are like that to you, we just, sort of dis, we just sort of reciprocate, right? If people aren't nice to you, we sort of reciprocate that back. That's our reaction to it. But Jesus says, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is where Jesus sort of, again, he sort of takes it to an extreme a little bit, because if we're honest, let's be honest here, how many of us actually, you don't have to raise your hand, I'm just hypothetical, or a rhetorical question, uh, how many of us actually pray for all the people that we actually love and our friends that we actually like? We, we don't even pray for those people all the time, and yet Jesus takes it another step further and says, you should also pray for those who persecute you, your enemies, those who are doing bad things about you, those who are saying bad things about you. Um, and it just seems like that's too much, right? Like Jesus is like, I don't even necessarily pray for those people I actually like. Why would I pray for these other people? And Jesus says, this is what my followers should do. Continue on verse 44. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Um, to which we might say again, I don't pray for those I really like all that much. And so how am I going to actually pray for those? Verse 45. In that way, he says, he's giving us the reason. He's going to give us the reason why you should react this way, the reason why you should react differently than the way the world reacts, and in those moments sort of go above and beyond or, or go what's beyond what's expected. In those moments, the reason you should do that, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. That Jesus says, I want you to do all this, sort of reacting and, and paying attention to how you react to things, because all these things will actually reflect your Father in heaven. It will reflect how your Father reacts. 
in heaven. And if you, don't know the, uh, if you don't know what God is like, we say this quite a bit, look in the Gospels, read about Jesus. Jesus is the best picture of what God is like. Uh, you see what God talks about and what God values and how, how God looks at people and how God views other different people, how God views those people. A lot of times Jesus reacts to that and, and, and shows us how God views those people. But the question is, how will people who aren't looking for Jesus, they aren't looking for God, how are they going to see Jesus? Because I can tell you guys to go look at Jesus in the Gospels and in the Bible and go read about Jesus and you'll see God and how God reacts. But people who are not looking for Jesus, not looking for God, how are they going to see God in our reactions to them? Because how we react to them is going to give them an indicator of how God would react to them. Now pause for a moment. There's some weight with that, right? <laughs> There's some heaviness with that because you can think about your reactions and I can think about my reactions over this past week and think, yeah, that wasn't a great representation of our Father in heaven. I wasn't giving an accurate picture of, of how God would react to that person. I was doing that myself. And if I could go back and change that, I wish I could. We can't, right? But we can move forward and Jesus is going to give us a way to do that. He continues on. He says, for his... For, for he gives, God gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on both the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? That when you see a person uh, love someone else who, who loves them, like, do you stop and notice that? Like, that's not noticeable. That's just kind of normal. That's the way that life is sort of is a lot of times, right? We don't stop and think, like, that's amazing. Like, that person's loving the other person, and they're loving them back, and it's just like, whoa. Like, how's that? When we stop and, and really, like, say that's amazing is when somebody loves somebody who's not loving them back, right? Who's not treating them the same way that they're treating them. And when Jesus mentions tax collectors here, we don't, again, we don't sort of get this picture. You, you might have problems with the IRS, but not the same way that, that these people had in, in their day and age. And so um, basically Jesus is, is comparing in some ways his audience to tax collectors. He's saying, if you don't do this, you basically are those tax collectors that you despise and you look down on and just terrible in society. Um, so what I want you to do is I want to sort of translate this into our culture. I want you to take a moment and think right now, don't say it out loud, just think in your head right now about the group of people in our culture that you have the least respect for, or that our culture has the least respect for. Now, some of you, unfortunately, might be thinking pastors, and so that's why I didn't want you to say it out loud, because that's unfortunately not a great group of people in some, some situations and through different seasons of life. But, but hopefully you have a picture in your mind of some group of people that culture just does not trust, does not have any respect for, just looks down on. Now, that is the group of people that basically Jesus is saying, you're like them if you don't treat people better than they treat you. If you don't look to treat your enemies better than your enemies treat you. If you don't love other people than just your neighbors and those in their family and the friends that you have. Jesus is saying, you're just being like that group of people that are in your mind if you don't do what Jesus is saying we should do. That liking people who like you, it doesn't make a difference in people's minds. It doesn't really, not nobody notices what's actually happening. And Jesus says, I want you to be recognized for something. He actually says, I want you to be recognized. There's a reward. I want something to come from the way that you act. And we not only think about, like, we want the reward from ourselves, and we try not to be selfish like that, but, but there's something Jesus says, it's not even about you. There's a bigger thing that's going to happen. You're going to be recognized for your reactions. And they're going to show people how different 
you are, that there's a distinction between who you are. Verse 47, continue on. If you are kind to only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. They're basically saying everyone does that. Whether you believe in God or not, anyone can sort of treat those friends and your neighbors in good, good faith and treat them nicely. But the people who treat their enemies differently, that is something significant. That is different. That's unexpected. That's unusual. That's standing out, uh, which is also sort of that going the extra mile like we just talked about. It's also that loving your enemy, uh, not retaliating when you have the chance to retaliate, not doing evil for evil. That stands out. That's different. Praying for your enemies stands out and makes a difference. And Jesus says, I want you to stand out, not necessarily in an awkward, weird way where you're sort of highlighting yourself, but I want you to stand out by how you react to other people. And in your reactions, that'll make a difference in people's lives. And there's a thing about, about reactions that we actually can sort of prepare for. I don't know if you've thought about that much, but in our reactions, we can prepare for them. Now, not all of them. There's sometimes where you just sort of have an instinct, knee-jerk reaction. But a lot of our reactions that we don't handle the best we could, we probably could a little bit better prepare for. And so we're going to talk about how we actually do that. Uh, what would it actually look like if we could prepare? What would it actually look like for us to react in that situation the way that our Heavenly Father would react in that situation? Uh, real quick, the last verse here, verse 48. But you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father in heaven, or as your Father in heaven is perfect. And again, this is another one of those verses that's easily misunderstood. It can be taken a lot of different directions, especially because in our culture, we understand the word perfect a little bit differently than Jesus' culture probably understood the word perfect. But Jesus' audience, uh, basically Jesus is saying rather, I want you to react towards others as your Heavenly Father would react towards you, or as your Heavenly Father has reacted towards you that I want you to go the extra mile. I want you to do more than is expected. I want you to react differently than the world would react. I want you to be a person who reacts differently than others. I want you to be a, a student who reacts differently than other students. I want you to react differently as an employer, different than other employers might react. I want you to react differently as an employee, and you react differently than the other employees in your company do. Whether that's a student, or a son, or a daughter, or a parent, whatever it is, I want you to react differently than the other people do, not because necessarily you're trying to, you know, say you're better than them, but Jesus has something, done something for you, and you know that God has reacted differently to you, and so you need to react differently to other people as well. And the interesting thing is we say, well, like, why would we do that? Well, because God has reacted differently than any other God to us, right? God has offered us something that no other God has offered us. He reacted to us and our sin, even knowing the things that we would promise to do that we didn't do knowing what we would continue to do, even though we said we wouldn't do it, uh, doing the things that we said we wouldn't do anymore, and we still continue to do them, and the harm that we would inflict on others, the secrets that we would keep, the, the destruction that we would cause around other people, and yet, knowing all that, God reacted to our sin by sending His Son as a Savior. And then Jesus reacted to our sin by dying for it, to pay for it. That's how God reacted to us, and we are to reflect that and react in the same way. And even in those moments where we actually fall short, right, we have those moments where we react poorly, even in those moments, we can still reflect God by how we react again, by asking for forgiveness, by seeking to build the relationship and keep the relationship strong, that even in those moments, we can still act in a similar way to our Father in heaven. So it makes sense that following Jesus means reacting towards others the way that he reacted toward us, right? That just makes sense. 
Um, and so basically our point for today is that our reactions are opportunities to show others how God will react to them. That how we react to other people is actually an opportunity. We need to see it as an opportunity that when that person comes at you, it's unexpected. When that person says the thing that hurts your feelings, when all those things happen, those are opportunities to reflect and react to that person the way that God would react to them. Now, you might be wondering, well, how can I actually prepare? I said, you said you can prepare to react. Like, how can we actually do that? Well, um, there are actually situations where we don't just have to naturally respond, right? We actually have a choice in the matter, and sometimes it's just pausing. <laughs> sometimes that's all it is, is to pause and breathe rather than just spew out whatever was in our heart and our mind right away, right? Sometimes we need that pause barrier to sort of protect us. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that in preparation and preparing our reactions, one of the biggest things might be just simply noticing your reactions. And this week, now that we've talked about reactions, you're going to get to experience a little bit of what being a pastor is like, knowing what you're going to talk about ahead of time, and then you see it everywhere in your week, and you're like, oh, I wish I would have done that differently. <laughs> this week, that even happened to me. But you're going to probably see this this week, where you're going to see, yeah, that reaction I could have probably done a little bit differently. And being aware of it is a good first step. In fact, this week, um, as I was preparing for this message, I had this situation happen that I was going to sort of, I was trying to write down what happened as an example of, you know, sort of my reaction. And, and I was trying to like sort of justify my reaction. And as I was trying to write it down, I just realized how I was really not right. <laughs> There's no way I could sort of use words to sort of make this sound right. And I was just, again, reminded of my reaction is so important and how I react and just being aware of that. And so we're going to practice our reactions. We're going to start to try to prepare for our reactions. Now we're going to practice this at home first, because let's be honest, some of us are not ready to practice this out in public, right? So we want to practice this in private, in your home. So step number one, think about one thing that gets on your nerves at home. Now you cannot substitute person. That's why I highlighted thing, not a person. You think about one thing. Now it can be one thing that a person does in your home, but think about one thing that really just gets on your nerves. Maybe it's that as soon as they get home, as soon as my parents do this or say this, whatever it is, or as soon as they leave the room, they don't do whatever. For me, turning off the lights is one of them. But anyhow, what's one thing that really gets on your nerves, okay? So think about that, number one. And then number two, think about your normal reaction. And when I say normal, I mean like the most frequent reaction. Like what do you most frequently, how do you most frequently react to that thing that bothers you? And most likely if it's something that really bothers you and really, you know, sort of disturbs you and perturbs you and all those things, you don't react well, right? We don't always react well to those things. Think about your normal reaction. Now, number three, I want you to ask, how would Jesus react? So thinking about that one situation as a, just an example, case study, how would Jesus react differently in that situation if that same thing was happening to him? Your kids were still bothering Jesus with that question, repeating it over and over again. And how would Jesus react to that? Your spouse keeps doing that thing that just really drives you crazy and you just don't want to hear that noise, don't want to see that, don't want to do that again, don't want to pick up after them, whatever it is. How would Jesus react differently? Your teacher gives you that thing, your boss gives you that thing, and you're just, oh, you want to react and you'd be so mad. Like, why didn't you prepare? Why didn't you? How would Jesus react differently. Because a lot of times that WWJD, how, what would Jesus do, like that's actually sort of helpful. It's a little cliche, I get it, but it can be helpful to actually think about, well, what would Jesus do? And in this situation specifically, how would Jesus react differently than I might react? Um, kids, what kind of reaction would it take for you, if you reacted in a certain way that your parents would be like, what happened to my kid? What, what's different about my kid? Is my kid doing something? Are they up to something? Like, what happened to my kid? What would, what would it take for them to think that there's something different in your life? Uh, parents, 
What would it take for you to react to your son or your daughter where your, where your son or daughter would say, did somebody abduct or take my parents? Like, what happened? Like, why are they reacting so calmly and differently? And why are they, like, what would it take for that to happen? I think one of the best things that, that one of the best reactions that we could have to situations, and, and, and for me, this is one that I really try to use a lot, and um, maybe some of you have noticed it. I, I, it's probably the moment where I'm trying not to say something else, to be honest with you. Hopefully that doesn't come out to bite me later. But one of the reactions that I've found that's most helpful is to say, how can I help? When my kids spill something, instead of getting upset, how can I help you clean it up? Uh, when something doesn't go right and, and it needs fixed and you can see that the person is stressed about it, instead of you know, critiquing them and, and evaluating their preparedness or whatever the thing is, how can I help? And interestingly, I think that statement is maybe one of the biggest questions that reflects Jesus, because that's in a sense what Jesus came to do for us. He offered himself as a way to help us. And so instead of complaining about what should have been different and why couldn't you see that wasn't going to work and all those different things, maybe that's your response. But how would Jesus react differently? Um, our reactions, as we sort of wrap up, our reactions are important for so many reasons, right? We could list a lot of reasons why our reactions are important. But particularly our reactions are important because they represent something more than just us. They represent us, but they also represent our family. But as we're going to see, they also represent Jesus. We've already sort of looked at that. Um, I have this um, Foster the City shirt, this, this organization that our church partners with to help foster kids. My family also partners with them. I just love the organization. Um, but the shirt they gave me, I, I like to wear it. Um, I've had it for about a year now. I like to wear it quite frequently because it's really soft, and it's just a nice shirt to wear, and I feel like it fits good. But also, I do like the organization, so I you know, don't mind representing them. Um, and the first time I wear the, wore this shirt, it was kind of interesting. I got into a situation in a store where I was overcharged something, you know, wrongly charged for something. And um, I, I got back to the car and realized, yeah, I didn't react real well to being overcharged for something. Uh, and then another, the, the next time I wore this shirt, you know, next week or something, I wore the same Foster the City shirt and I, sort of a similar opportunity happened, almost happened, potentially happened, and I was able to maybe avoid it. And I sort of got back in the car and I started talking to my wife and I sort of started joking, I'm like, I'm wearing this shirt again. It was sort of new enough that you sort of remember what you're wearing, right? I'm like, I'm wearing this shirt again. Like, what's happening? Like, my reactions, I, I need to be careful because um, every time I wear the shirt, I seem to get in these situations where I'm reacting. And all of a sudden, it sort of just hit me that, yeah, I'm wearing this shirt and I'm representing an organization that helps foster kids. And I would never want to do anything that would sort of, you know, cause more harm to kids who are already struggling by how I react in public with other people. I'm representing this organization by wearing this shirt. And the reality is by how you react throughout the week, you are representing someone else. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are representing Jesus and you might be the only representation of Jesus in that person's life. Or maybe you're the best representation of Jesus in their life. But how you react will give them an indicator of how God will react to them. And when we think of it in those terms and in the weightiness of that, I think sometimes we should really prepare. How are we going to react when that person says that? How am I going to react today? And to be honest, this is why prayer, to sort of start off your day, is one way to prepare for the reactions that you might have to face that day. So our reactions are opportunities to show others how God will react to them.